This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you're driving, speed bumps force you to slow down. Some are big, some are small. Regardless of the size, they can really mess up your car if you go over them too fast. In this go, go, go world, society tends to have a negative view of speed bumps. But in my opinion, they don't have to be a bad thing. We all go through speed bumps in life, such as getting married, a spiritual awakening, having children, changing jobs, a trauma, and more. In this podcast, you will hear the various speed bumps that people have encountered and how those experiences have shaped them into the person they are now. Because every story has speed bumps, and that is what makes life interesting. Hey everyone, I wanted to welcome you to another episode of Speed Bumps, and today with me, I have Julia from the Cosmic Peach Podcast. She had me on her show uh, probably a couple weeks ago now it aired, and I gave her an exclusive on my the paranormal side of my life, because uh, I didn't talk about that in my first episode. That was strictly a 3D, what's actually happened to me, but I gave her an exclusive on the 5D crazy realm, uh, seeing dead people and stuff. You should go check out that episode. And today she's going to return the favor. She's talked a lot about her paranormal experiences on her podcast, but just like all of us, she's also had a crazy life. And so she's going to share some of that with us today. And I'm super excited. Thank you, Julia, for coming on. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm absolutely thrilled and I could not be more happy to be providing this exclusive on the Speed Bumps podcast. I am so excited and I didn't know that you were going to do this until like two minutes ago before I hit record. So I am super excited and super happy. And in true speed bumps fashion, tell me two of your favorite things about yourself or two things that you love about yourself to start everything on a high note. Yeah, I have uh, a dynamite sense of humor and, um, I play piano. I'm real musical. I like to, you know, I want to teach myself how to play the ukulele. Actually, that's my next challenge. I got the piano down. I'm moving on. I want to do uh, ukulele. And I was like always in marching band and stuff like that. So, you know, music is is kind of a gift. Either you can do it or you can't. Kind yeah, of, or, yeah. or you might not even be interested in that kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, yeah. Two things I love about myself. That's awesome. So besides the piano, do you play anything else? Like, do you like to sing or anything like that? Yeah. Yeah. I try to sing, try. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know how great it is, but I try. Um, and yeah, I played the flute and, uh, band and then I switched and I did clarinet and then I wanted to do bass clarinet, which is one of the standup. It's like as tall as I was at the time. It was huge. Um, and I've always just been like anything I can learn. I try to play guitar, but it was like cut my fingers all up because I was still a kid. And I was like, all right, well, I'll just go to piano because it doesn't, you know, hurt my fingers to play. <laughs> Fair <laughs> so, enough. Uh, 
I've uh, I tried to learn to play the guitar once. Okay, so not once. I someone tried to teach me who also had one hand. My parents bought me a guitar for Christmas, and just like you, it was hurting my fingers. And I was like, like I want to, but I don't love it enough to sit down and practice on a regular basis to become right. good. Yeah. And the thing about guitars too, why I've decided to try to learn the ukulele is there's only four strings and they make these soft strings now that are like easy on your fingers. Okay. And so I was like, well, if I'm going to do it, I'll just learn how to play ukulele because it seems pretty simple Four strings and they make the softer strings now. So we'll give it a try. And then I'll come back to you in two weeks and tell you how I've abandoned the whole mission. <laughs> right now, I'm I'm pretty dead. Set. I have it in my Amazon cart. So. Okay. Can you read music too? I do. Yeah, okay. I do. So and that's another feat in it. In in oh, yeah. Learning how to read music. But I was in choir for like two years and I can't read music at all. Um, and no, oh, that no, does not mean choir. I have a good singing voice. So yeah, yeah. I just winged it inquire you know they give you the sheet music to read but I would just kind of do whatever the girl next to me was doing I'd be like okay she did went up here and she went down there <laughs> I was like all right yeah. I got it, I got it. <laughs> yeah yeah I uh basically the same basically the mm-hmm. same but no yeah so I am so excited about the episode today and um Like you had said, I wanted to return the favor because all I ever talk about is conspiracy theories and ghost stories and like crazy stuff that's happened to my family with the ghosts and all that. But, you know, I got to thinking one day, why would anybody want to listen to me as a host on my show? Like, what is my story? What makes me different or unique? And I think it's because I had such a rough childhood growing up that I'm just, I want to be friends with everybody. Like, I just want anybody who meets me to know, like, I will never, ever judge you Yeah. because I've been through some things, obviously not more like physically, like you have with surgeries, but like just physical, um, not physical, but experiences in my life. Well, like, okay. So hang on. I feel like I have to say this because people have said this to me before. What you go through and what I go through are two different things. It doesn't make mine any worse or any more valid than yours. Everyone has their own experiences and they're all totally valid. And it's all right if you haven't had the crazy amount of surgeries like me. Like, I hope no one else has. Like, you know, so you don't have to have an absolutely insane story to come on my show. I just like talking to everybody kind of like you. Like, I just want to talk to people. Oh, yeah, definitely. And in some ways, I feel like it's like when when they say the grass is greener on the other side, it's like not really, you know. So I obviously am not from Oklahoma. I think I have said that before on a podcast. I'm actually from Ohio. And um, my grandpa built a church with his bare hands in Ohio. He was a pastor and I, and I lived at church. We, you know, my mom sang in church and we did like Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday, and then practices for like everything else during the week. So I lived at church and um, we were a really spiritual loving family. 
but there was some infighting. Every family has like infighting. So like when my grandpa got dementia and they put him in the nursing home, we were all deciding like, who's going to take over the church. Nobody could decide. It was big, huge fight. They basically gave it to the nursing home to pay his bills and nobody took over the church. They took the house, the church, everything and sold out all the pews, everything. They just sold, broke it up, sold it in pieces. It's awful. I know. And I would say that moment was when our family started to kind of go downhill because we were still in fighting with each other, especially after that happened. And I grew up in the trailer park because my dad actually was in a heinous car accident. He broke his spine, went through the windshield, glass all in his face and his eyes, everything. And after that, he was addicted to prescription painkillers and he was on disability. He didn't work. He basically just laid in a chair. And, you know, this is all I knew. I knew that we went to church. I knew I really didn't have a dad figure in my life. Um, I lived in the trailer park and, you know, drug dealers would come over to our, our trailer park all the time to bring my dad pills. And like, this was what I grew up with as a kid. So after the church aspect went away, I really started to feel isolated because we weren't going to church anymore. I didn't have that. And like my family was fighting with each other and it was a very just isolating time because while my mom was at work all day, my dad was just asleep or, you know, high off his ass. And I was just somewhere in the neighborhood wandering around on my own in this. Roughly what age was this? Oh, I was, um, elementary middle okay little little yeah I was in kindergarten and um you know I was just my mom was scared actually because she was like she found me outside one day when she got home from work and she realized what had happened is he fell asleep and I left to go play with friends and I had just been out there all day starving and dirty and so she was like all right I think what we'll do is we will pack up everything And we will move to Kentucky to live with my older sister, who's 18 years older than me. (laughs) Um, And so I was like, oh, we're moving. Yay. I'm a kid. I don't know any better. What it was is like, we were, we had no money. We had nothing. So basically my mom as like the last ditch effort was like, let's throw everything in a bag and move out of state. We'll just start over fresh because the family was fighting and there was no reason to stay there. No church to you know nothing and so I got to Kentucky and I went to first grade all the way through ninth grade in Kentucky and that's why I have a confused accent because I was a very young kid when we moved there (laughs) and so um I kind of have Cleveland kind of have Kentucky so it's a hybrid um And that's when my dad started getting really bad because it got to the point where my sister was like, you can't live with us. You got to move out. So we went back to another trailer park, different, you know, (laughs) different trailer park, but same shit, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So he was doing drugs so bad that he would overdose all the time. And I would be alone with him when he would do this so at any given moment I could be outside playing and come in and he would just be seized up on the floor vomiting and just convulsions and at like age eight 
I knew how to call 911 and tell them what was happening because it would just happen so often. And they knew, like the second they would hear me on the phone, they would be like, is this the address? Yes. And they were at that trailer every other freaking day with him. And if he didn't have pills, he would over inject himself with insulin. And he would just take that clicky insulin pen and just click it like a million times and just inject himself like 30 times in a row with like his insulin pen. What does insulin do? Maybe I'm... Oh, I don't know. That's what I think it's called for diabetes. Like, Wait, no, you... no, no, no. So I know the insulin and diabetes, but like, what's the point of like overdosing on insulin? Well, what it did was put him into a diabetic coma one time. Oh, so he, it was just anything to get like a rise out of people, you know? And so we found him in that state and it wasn't to do with pills. He was just, oh, I don't have pills. So I guess I'll just put myself in a diabetic coma. Um, <laughs> This one time he said he was going to drive his car off the bridge. And then we had all these cop cars and, uh, you know, ambulance firefighters at the bridge, like talking him off the ledge and get out of the car, put your hands above your head. Like, cause he, he was, go- if he went off the bridge with his car, he could potentially kill other people. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was just always something. And I, I thought it was normal. I thought this is just how, you know, that this is your dad tries to kill himself all the time. He's a dirt bag. He was autistic. I don't know if that has anything to do with it. He was like a super high functioning autistic and he was like an idiot savant. He taught himself how to play like 10 different instruments and he was amazingly funny. And when he was sober, he was like the nicest guy you'd ever know. But that was like 10% of the time. Yeah. You know, I got to see that 10% that my mom married, you know, very seldomly. And the other parts were just him being high or trying to kill himself or he tried to shoot himself or hang himself. And um, it got so bad that my ninth grade year of high school, my grandma actually had started to have dementia symptoms as well so she was like let's just abandon all this let's start over again again and we'll move back to Ohio we'll take care of her mom my mom's mom which is my you know grandma obviously and so we moved into her house and this is where the paranormal stuff started happening on top of everything else that was going on like in my life and I do feel like they used it, let's just say it was demons that was in that house. They used my dad a lot because I feel like he was just an empty vessel most of the time. And um, he would just get in a rage and start destroying stuff in the house and um, disappear for days on end. And then he'd show back up and it was just, it was absolutely awful. He told us that he had gotten in a bar fight with someone and stabbed somebody, a drug dealer, and he was this and that. I don't know if these were delusions or if he had actually committed these crimes, but like he would just come home and say this kind of stuff. And I'm in high school trying to figure out how to use a tampon, trying to figure out like, what do I do with these demons and ghosts that I'm seeing in my grandma's house? And all the while, like my dad is like the biggest demon of them all, you know? And 
eventually we end up moving out of that house. But while we were there, I actually changed high schools three separate times because I just kept getting kicked out and I was doing so terrible in school. I didn't want to be there. I didn't know if while I was at school that day, I would come home and my dad would just be dead or I'd have to find his body in whatever state. And so I was like, I just don't want, I had no interest in being at school whatsoever. Oh, yeah. You had and more important things, to be honest with you, like school, school didn't matter. That's what it felt like to me, at least. It's like, why do I care about learning algebra or this or that? Because I already know what my future is. I'm going to live in a trailer park and probably work at the dollar store or something, just like my mom or just like whoever. And um, because my mom couldn't have a serious job because she had to take care of me. And she was super depressed because of the situation in her own life. And she was like, I'll just work somewhere part time so we have enough money to get by. And then your dad's disability check. And that's all I ever aspired of doing was just like having this mundane existence um but yeah so I the first high school I went to I just didn't do any work no homework nothing I just they were like what's going on with your kid and my mom was like oh I would tell you but I kind of don't want to tell you because I don't want my kid taken away kind of thing So she wasn't honest with them about what was going on. So they were just like, well, we're going to go ahead and say she needs to find a different high school. So I went to a different high school and um, it's the same. Like I wasn't, I was skipping school. I was doing a bunch of crap. And then I felt like in this circle of older people that had already graduated that were like 26 years old drinking and doing drugs and stuff. And they would just come pick me up from school And I would just be gone. And my mom would, I wouldn't go home for days on end. My mom had no idea where I was. And I slowly began seeing that I was turning into my dad. And it freaked me out so bad because I was like, everything I hate about him and I'm out here doing it. Yeah. And that's just another thing where you kind of try to take a step back and, and say, this is a type of programming because you're traumatized as a child and then you grow up and you portray the same things because that's all that you know. Even though my mom was an angel, she was an absolute angel. If there was anybody, we lived in the freaking trailer park, poor, and barely had anything to eat sometimes. But if one of my friends from school came home with me as a kid and they didn't have a jacket or they didn't have like a book that they needed or something, my mom would either take one of my old things and give it to them or just take them out to the store and buy it for him because she couldn't stand to think that there was one of my friends or another kid that needed something. She couldn't provide that for them. She was like the ultimate mom. But at the same time, she knew that if she left my dad, like we would be totally indigent. Like there would be nothing for her to do. So she was stuck like that. So two two questions. Can I interrupt you? Okay. So first thing, do you, so kudos to you for recognizing that pattern of, Hey, I'm becoming the person I don't like, and you don't seem to be that way now. So I'm guessing there's a happy ending to this (laughs) somewhere along the way. Um, so, I mean, kudos to you for that because a lot of people, they don't, you know, they don't recognize that I have, um, some cousins and, so one of my uncles has three boys and the oldest is just like my uncle, an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. 
and, you know, isn't when he's sober, he's a great person, but you know, and then the youngest of the three boys, um, basically was like, I don't want anything to do with that. And like completely straight and narrow. So it's funny how a lot of kids, either what they grow up with, they either become that parent yeah, or they go completely opposite because they're like, you know, I, I don't want to ever want to be like that, you know? And so either way, to your point, it is a type of programming because you're either programmed and you're like, this is what I'm going to end up being. Or you're programmed to think I'm absolutely not going to end up this way. Either way, it's programming. Oh, definitely. And I feel like that's why a lot of people don't leave a small town. Like where I grew up is because everyone's programmed that you just grow up and you do some trade school and then you, you work your craft, you're a welder or a grocery store attendant or a gas station attendant, or you work, you do hair or something like that. These small, tiny little towns and you just never get out of them because we live like right on the outside of Cleveland in like the trash area um, where people just go to get forgotten pretty much. Um, and it's like I said, they, my grandpa's church was no more, like there was no spiritual head of our family. So we were just slowly disintegrating over time. And, um, yeah, I mean, I got kicked out of school all the time. And so basically what ended up happening is I got to my senior year of high school and, um, they basically said, you're going to have to do your senior year all over again, because you have no credits at all whatsoever. And I was like, well, what the heck am I going to do here in this shitty ass town with my dad, like another whole year before I can move out or do something on my own. So basically what the pinnacle was, was I came home from school one day and, uh, I went over to a friend's house. We were doing drugs, whatever. And then I was like, I just, I can't live like this anymore. And, uh, that next night, my dad literally jumped off a cliff into a ravine type area. And he was just hanging his shirt or something was caught on like a tree branch. Like it's something from the movies. And this life flight thing had to come and with a rope and like ambulance and firemen and all these people came. And it was the middle of December in Cleveland, Ohio. The snow was four feet tall. It was gusty, blowing snow and wind and freezing cold. And my dad is out there in a fucking t-shirt and cargo shorts not only hanging from a tree limb trying to take his own life high off his ass on drugs but also has hypothermia (laughs) so it's almost as if the world universe whatever was conspiring not to let him kill himself right because so so many attempts and the things you're telling me like i don't know how many near-death experiences you would have had like how many times he's actually died you know and to your point like hanging off a tree branch in the middle of a ravine by his shirt and that's what saved him from killing himself that is something out of the movies it is and it was even in the newspaper the next day because he lied about why he was down there he said he was chasing after um, a dog or something and he was trying to get this dog from going over the cliff and he tripped and fell and that's what how he ended up down there because every single time 
when we would find him like trying to hang himself or shoot himself or whatever, they would admit him for a stay in the mental institution. Well, yeah. He got tired of that. So he would lie when they would find him and say it was an accident, this, that. So he wouldn't have to spend. He then knew the answers to the questions. So he didn't have to go to the cycle. Oh, he got so smart about it. Oh, he was so deceptive. So they put him in this hypothermic body bag thing. It was looked like tin foil or something. They put him in the back of the ambulance. They take him to the hospital. He's fine. And they just send him back home with us the next day. Um, And it just, you know, picked right up from there. And there was one more attempt after that where they put him back in the mental institution because they knew his story just sounded ridiculous. And while he was in the mental institution, I looked at my mom and I said, I don't care if you're coming with me, but I'm leaving. I'm getting my shit and I'm putting it in a bag and I'm taking my 1997 Pontiac Grand Dam with freaking dents and barely can run. And I'm driving to Oklahoma to live with my sister because she had moved from Kentucky to Oklahoma for her job. And so I said, I'm going to move in with my sister and I if you're coming, great. I want you to come. I want you to get away from him. But if you're not coming, I just want you to know I'm going. And so over that next week, we made all the plans. We got our my bag packed. I put all my stuff in there. I left 90% of my belongings behind. All I had was like underwear, toothbrush, couple of pairs of, you know, pants and a t-shirt. Um, and I took like a box of old home movies that I didn't want to get destroyed. And I just, my most valuable things that I had, and I just put them in a bag. And the day that I was supposed to leave, my brother was going to drive with me. So I didn't kill myself on the way there. Um, It was the first, you know, 18 plus hour trip I had ever drove. going to like tag team with me. And then he was just going to fly back home. So he, he pulls up and he honks the horn and he's like, come on, I'm ready for you. And I looked at my mom and I was like, I'm, I'm going. And she said, all right, I'm going with you. And like last minute, that last second, she got her little bag out of the closet and just started throwing stuff in it. And just like, I can't live without you. Like, I'll just go, I'm going to go. And we, we drove 18 hours, me, my mom and my brother all the way to Oklahoma. And we had the most beautiful conversation and just enjoyed each other's company and the stillness and like the peace of knowing that we never had to look back and we never had to go back to that. And, um, yeah, so we moved in with my sister here in Oklahoma and my dad got out of the mental Institute, didn't know what the fuck had happened because we were just gone (laughs) and he had an empty house to come back to. And he tried to call us. He tried to get in touch through like his mom, my grandma, Um, But my mom and his mom hated each other. She always said, like, my mom was what caused him to be like that. You know, always found an excuse for his behavior and stuff. So that didn't last long. And he ended up getting completely addicted to meth and absolutely started just wandering around in neighborhoods, like half dressed, like saying he saw gnomes on people's houses. And um he, he got into one of those hallucinated states or whatever you want to call it. And um, he assaulted his girlfriend. This is years later. He assaulted his girlfriend. Um, just beat her up. Terrible. Um, she called the cops. 
and he pulled a gun out on the cops and he attempted to fire on the policeman who came to to you know observe the situation and he's in jail now um and he's still in jail to to this day um he's lucky he didn't get shot by the cops it sounds almost like he wanted to be suicide by cop is what that sounds like to me but yet again but yet again (laughs) he like that boggles my mind ellie he's like we have a running joke in my family that he's so toxic that he just can't die like if if he's in your life he'll just ruin it and that's what he was like on like the whatever got a hold of him after that car accident and he was just addicted so bad to pills and drugs and it's like whatever his purpose was afterward he let something come in it almost like that it it's almost like that attachment or whatever wasn't letting him die yes that was their vessel or their food source or you know i I don't know but Mm -hmm. that's why so like will he ever get like can i ask will he like he ever get out or is yeah he will eventually i mean he's now that he's in prison and all he can do is smoke cigarettes and eat crap food he's got like all type of they they tell him all the time like your liver's failing your kidneys are failing like everything's he's gotten a foot removed from his diabetes he's gotten like fingers removed from his diabetes still kicking still kicking and you know I know that he had mentioned briefly when he was sober that he was abused by his father sexually abused and and physically abused and just was that the grandpa that had the church or was that your mom's dad no that was his that was my mom's dad that had the church but his dad was in his life until he was maybe like 14 and then he was just gone like nobody knows what happened to him but while he was in the picture I guess he was like sexually mentally physically abusing him and his brothers and so I know that maybe the car accident did trigger him to have some physical pain, but he also had like mental anguish things that he never resolved for himself. And I, I do. And I, and I always remind myself if I can get like the phone number to the prison or something where he's at, I would love to have a phone call where I just say like, I forgive you. And I don't want you to feel like I have, I, there's nothing between us, but love, because I realize that you're a broken person and all you knew how to do was break other people and be in a constant state of suffering. Cause that's all you ever knew. And I understand that. And I love you and I forgive you. And I just want that peace between us because I, t- I just can't be mad at him. I can't be mad at him because what he eventually ended up doing was forcing me into a much better existence. And so if he wouldn't have done all that shit that he did, maybe I would still be living in that small town and working at a gas station or addicted to drugs or whatever. But I, I finally just got to that point where I was like, I can't do this with him anymore. This is not my life. And so we got the fuck out of there. And, you know, I, I might have said this before, but when we got to Oklahoma, I think it was like four months later, my mom wasn't feeling good. She just wasn't herself. We take her to the doctor. They run some stuff. We find out she's got stage four breast cancer. And um, 
the mass in her breast was actually the size of an avocado pit when they found it. So there was like no chance it was in her lymph nodes. It was everywhere. They did try to do chemo, radiation, everything. And whatever was wrong with my mom's cellular makeup, the chemo and radiation grew the tumor larger. And so they, they did mastectomy. They did everything. She obviously was very depressed after that because she's taking a very feminine part of you away right and I don't think she ever really fully mentally came back from that and um I I obviously went back to uh school I did a lot of stuff and got my own place moved my mom in with me took care of her you know did my entire childhood all we did was watch a haunting on tv or read ghost books or did something she loved marilyn monroe conspiracy stuff which is why i like to cover it like on my podcast and she was like my little conspiracy queen she had her little hobbies that kept her joyful like with everything that was going on in our life but when she moved in with me i said mom you watch as many ghost adventure shows as you want books and do whatever you you know so we decorated every inch of that apartment for Halloween I put pumpkins everywhere you could put a pumpkin and cobwebs and ghosts and I just wanted her to feel like these last however long you have you enjoyed it and you were so free to do whatever you wanted to do away from like my dad and um, that's what I did for her and the cancer came back in her lungs and it actually spread all over her body was in her um bone you know whatever they call it her um her lungs her brain everywhere her bone marrow I think it is or whatever yes so she had it her her pet scan just lit up like a Christmas tree it was just all over her and um they asked her if she wanted to do any treatment or she was like no I just need my Xanax and some painkillers and I'm just gonna ride it out um and we just try to make the best of those last couple of months that she had and um after she passed away, it was like I died. Or maybe it it almost felt like that part of me that needed her so bad because I was such a like fragmented child died with her. And a lot of people tell me after my mom died, they didn't recognize me. They said, we didn't know who you were. You were completely different. You were so focused on like making a better life for yourself and you started eating healthy and you start and I was like yeah because I realized that there is a very little chance that I'll ever end up like my dad but there's a part of me that has an addictive personality and I need to just stay on the straight and narrow and take care of myself and just live life to the fullest because I know that's what my mom would want and she would never want me to end up like my dad so that's what I just focused on on doing and um it's funny because the I don't know if you heard the whole podcast, but part of the paranormal thing in my family is that things happen in threes. Mm-hmm. Everything always happened in threes. And you know, my mom died three years after her mom, and then three years later my aunt died. But that's a whole nother you can go to Cosmic Peach podcast and check out why there's threes everywhere. <laughs> yes. But uh my mom dies three days before her birthday three weeks before my birthday and my birthday's the 30th (laughs) so there was three threes (gasps) and then it happened to be that I met my husband the day before my birthday at a house party so that would have been three 
weeks after my mom died, right before my birthday, and I was about to turn 23. <laughs> so it was just so crazy. That's and, wild. You know, three years later, we got married. And that was <laughs> planned. <laughs> that was not planned. Like whatsoever. Oh, I love it. It's just been a really um, and this story is to encourage people that no matter what. You can throw your panties in a bag with your toothbrush and just get in the car and make a whole new life for yourself and never look back. And that's what I did. And I'm, I'm just, you know, enjoying every single day on this earth away from all that craziness. And starting the podcast was like, basically all the dreams and wishes and hopes that I had ever had as a kid coming true for me. Cause it's like, Oh, I can talk about ghosts and, you know, conspiracy theories and who really killed Marilyn Monroe and like, and people actually like it and they like me and that <laughs> I'm friends and like, this is awesome. I found my happy, po- I found my niche. And so, yeah, it's come full circle. And I, I, you know, just within these last couple of years feel like um, I'm doing something for myself and, and I'm doing something that I enjoy that gives me that lust and desire for life again you know something to look forward to researching my stuff and doing my podcast and meeting cool people like you that just makes it all worth it you know yeah yeah I love your story and I love the basically the life lesson you threw in there of you can always pack up a bag and just head out of town like I love that because I feel like a lot of people feel stuck in their situations whatever that this situation is, um, whether it's a job or a relationship or a house or whatever. And I feel like a lot of times the answer is an easy one, but we're really scared of it because what happens if I pack up my underwear and a toothbrush in a bag and I leave? Like, I I can't do that. I don't know where I'll go. You'll figure it out. Like you will figure it out. But those unknowns can be really scary for people. And I feel like that's what traps people is the I don't knows and the unknowns. And so that fear is what keeps people in this place that they know they don't want to be. They don't like it there, but they stay there because that's what they know. And they're not necessarily comfortable, but they're too afraid of the unknown. And it's actually, they would rather stay in a shitty situation that they know then go to an unknown situation where they have no idea how bad it'll be, but it might be the best thing that's ever happened to them. Like for me, and I've been even in, you know, after I moved to Oklahoma, I started dating this guy and he turned out to be like an abusive prick, but I was attracted my whole life. I was attracted to guys like that. And I just never knew why. Like, I did not know why I kept getting involved with these freaking pricks, just little assholes that if you, you know, put them in the middle of a bar fight, they'd go running out. You know, they have no, they would never stand up to another man. They're they're all talk. Yes. But they'll just like talk crazy to females and like, they're that type of little, you know, useless. And I was like, why do I keep getting involved with guys like this? And it's probably not probably it's because I only ever saw that from my dad. And so I didn't know what it was like to have a nice guy in my life that was giving me love, showing me love 
and like just being a companion. I didn't know what that was. My mom never had a companion her whole life. And she was a very talented singer. She was just like Reba. She could just blow the roof off of it. And I have the fondest memories. I never want to forget her voice in my ears. I never want to. And um, my dad actually met my mom because he was in a country band and she was in a country band and they had combined forces and became like a huge big country band and would go around to like all of the local bars. And um, it was like church by day, bar by night. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. (laughs) Yeah, she would just be singing gospel and hymns and just like all this. And then at night she'd go put her cowboy boots on and like go sing, you know, Reba. (laughs) Uh, down at the bars and it was she was a magical magical person and I try to be like that every day just like how can I be more like my mom she had her moments she was a Scorpio but you know I obviously would would like to emulate her in a lot of the things that she did and after it was like I said it was some weird part of me died when she died because it was like I had you know, finally met my husband who was this absolutely genuine, big sweetheart, nice guy. And I didn't even know what to do with him at first because I was like, oh my God, are you like gay or something? Like you're really emotional. (laughs) And he was like, what the fuck are you talking about? I'm just like a night. I'm being nice to you. And it was just a four. Yeah, but it's like, why are you being nice? Don't you have an ulterior motive? like obviously you're trying to use me as like your beard because you're gay or something because you are just too nice and you're just too and he was like I promise you this is what men should be like if you've ever encountered anything other than how I am it's because you were messing with like some douchebags and I was but Ellie I'm telling you people need to just understand that if there's even a 1% chance that you'll be happier getting out of that situation where you're just completely miserable and going into something completely unknown, just do it anyways. Because if you're miserable with the unknown option, it doesn't matter because you were already miserable. At least you can say you gave it a fucking try and did something. I love you. (laughs) (laughs) I love you. I, I completely agree. I completely agree. You know, um, I left my ex-husband when I met my now husband and there was a phone call that my husband had made or my ex-husband had made in front of my now husband. And my now husband looks at me and goes, do you need a safe place to stay? And I said, yes. And mm-hmm. I, he happened to be out of town. I packed up all my shit in a matter of a week and made sure I had all my credit cards and shit that he tried to take from me. And I up and disappeared and yeah. uh, my parents didn't know where I was because I knew that he was trying to, my ex-husband was trying to call them to figure out where I was. Um, wouldn't tell anybody where I was, lied. It's like, yeah, I'm staying in New York. I was totally still in Connecticut, but totally lied. Um, later found out he had a tracker on my car. So that's fun. Good God. So please, if you're in especially an abusive relationship, leave. Like you can Google, you know, um, women's shelters in your area. You don't have to stay. They will help you. Like if you have a friend, like up and leave, just do it for your own safety. Like, please don't stay. Don't stay. 
you have a friend, like ladies, listen to me. If this at all in any way is resonating with you and you're in one of these relationships, you can't tell me that you don't have a friend, a coworker, somebody who knows what's going on with you that wouldn't love you enough to help you yep. out in this situation. Maybe you stay at their house for a couple of weeks just so you get your feet on the ground to get your own place, something. There's someone in your life who loves you and wants to help you. Even yep. if you you're imposing on them, fuck all that. Because if it was me, I would do anything to help my friends because I know what it feels like to be on the opposite end. It's not imposing on me nope. to offer you because we're all here on this planet to do one thing and it's to be of service to others in service to humanity. And that's the only reason we're put here on this planet. If you're around a bunch of selfish assholes, you need to find a new friend group because that's going to take you nowhere. In a lot of these abusive relationships, you're involved with someone who's absolutely narcissistic and selfish. And we have to be in service to each other. So if you have a friend that will let you stay at their house for a couple of weeks, just go do it and get that part out of the way so you can move on. I feel like I now have to... uh put this out there the national domestic violence hotline 1-800-799-7233 you can also text the word start s-t-a-r-t to 88788 they will connect you with resources in your state if you feel like you know you don't want to you know you don't want to endanger your friends or you're you know you're worried about your family um a lot of them will figure out your pets, your kids, like they have these resources to help you. You don't have to stay. And, you know, that's a, that's wonderful that you included that because it just might hit somebody's ears that needs to hear it. And there's a lot of forms of abuse out there, people. It doesn't have to be like somebody beating on you, somebody degrading you. Uh, it can even be that, that person in your life completely ignores you and you go through your whole relationship or marriage feeling like you're nothing that you're worthless just like my mom did she never did shit with never did a damn thing with my mom not even grocery shopping those sweet little intimate moments where you just want your companion with you she never had that all she had was her kids which is why she poured so much into us but right that is also abuse feeling empty because you're partner in crime you're the person that's supposed to be your ride or die your husband your spouse whoever just completely ignores you like your whole existence to them is just a bother yeah abuse doesn't have to be physical if you don't have access to your money that's financial abuse obviously there's sexual abuse um if you know they well i'm only going to give you this if you do this like i guarantee you if you're if you tell someone your whole story if you think, well, maybe, maybe, maybe I am, but you're really unsure, go tell someone. And if they tell you, you know, do you need help? Or, you know, this is not how a relationship should be. And you don't feel that you could go to your partner and be like, hey, we need to have a conversation about this because you're afraid of their reaction. You're probably in an abusive relationship You're if you're afraid of their reaction. Absolutely. Absolutely. Which is why. Like, for example, my mom and I just packed a bag while he was in the mental institute and just left. 
because yep. we knew we couldn't come to his front doorstep with something like that because he would rage. Right. He might be high on drugs. He might try to kill us. He might try to kill himself again. Something was going to happen to where it made it to where we couldn't leave. So we just waited while he was institutionalized, packed the bag and just left and just got out of there. And I'm telling you, you guys, it's the best thing. I That's the smartest decision I've ever made. And I was the dumbest kid you could ever meet. So don't tell me that you can't do it because if I can do it, anybody can do it. And, you know, I saved my mom's life. Yeah. Because she would have sat in there with cancer, not knowing she had cancer. And we would have just got a call one day that she was dead. And, you know, my dad would have been nowhere to be found. Maybe he would have tried to kill himself. Like it was just going nowhere fast. Yeah. And that's why, you know, having a podcast, it, it's really important too to share this kind of stuff with people because I'm just a person who's trying to bring laughter and like funny stuff. And I like to tell jokes and I like to make people smile but it's really from being in pain my whole life. And all I wanted to do was smile or laugh or joke. And um, I always tell people how much I love Jim Carrey because I would just sit in front of the TV most of the time by myself while my mom was at work and just watch like Dumb and Dumber or like just funny movies and just keep myself entertained. And um, there's a lot of people who are funny like Robin Williams who actually it comes from being in pain all the time. Yep. And so, yeah, people just try to try to get out of that. If you, if you're anywhere near someone who can help you just reach out and be like, Hey, if, have you ever had this happen to you? Has your husband ever done this or has your boyfriend ever, you know, told you. And if they say, no, that's weird. Like that's unhealthy. That should be a red flag for you. Like, Hey, maybe this is not where I should be or who I should be with. Exactly. Yeah, it's, uh, it'll be hard, like not going to sugarcoat shit and tell you, yeah, it's totally easy to randomly pick up your life in a bag and run out. Um, it, it's hard. Um, but some of those hardest decisions can be the best decisions of your life. Oh, absolutely. And just to speak on that for a moment, when we moved to Oklahoma, I found out all the reasons why my older sister and I never got along. We are just complete opposites on every front. Like she has, you know, one set way she likes to do things. And I have one set way I like to do things. So when we meshed our households together, I was a wild child because I had had no one in my life discipline me whatsoever because my dad obviously wasn't doing it. Right. My mom felt so guilty for the kind of life that we had. She just let me do whatever. So I'd be happy. Yeah. Um, so basically what that led to was I just challenged everyone on everything all the time. I was just an asshole, little prick bitch. And I would just fight with people for no reason and just lash out and just be cruel and mean. And my sister's sitting there letting me live in her house, rent free, paying all the bills, buying me food. And I'm still fighting with her because at the time I didn't realize what a service she was doing for me. And all I wanted to do was just lash out on everyone. We're best friends now. But those first couple of months that we lived with her before I went back to school and got my own place and moved out, that was extremely difficult 
like extremely difficult because we were fighting all the time and I was like was this even worth it this is worse sometimes like having to listen to my sister's mouth all the time like but it ended up she was trying to do everything she could in my best interest and she's obviously 18 years older than me so if I'm 18 obviously I'm an idiot with math but she's much older than me (laughs) and she knows a few things and she was just trying to help me and my mom and now that it's all done and over with and the it's all blown over we're best friends we work together um we have lunch at work all the time together and like we've just formed this amazing bond um but that's that's like the phoenix you know you gotta rise from the ashes you gotta burn some shit up you gotta pave your own way and i just want to be an inspiration to anybody who feels like they've had a shit life I know what that feels like and you can make it better. That's all I'm going to say about that. Like whether it be you find God, even if it's God in a church, God in a temple, God in whatever capacity you find spirituality, you find something that's great. But I already had that core memory from growing up in church with my grandpa that if I took a step of faith, let's just see what happens. And hopefully God's got my back. Yep. God, the universe, whatever has my back. And, um, I hadn't been to church in a really long time, but I didn't have to, because, you know, if you think of it, God will never abandon you. Right. So even though I hadn't been to church as a building in years, I took that first step of faith, put my stuff in a bag, put it in my rusted out rust bucket of a car that barely got us there and then just collapsed in the driveway. And I made it look at me, people. I'm sitting here with a beautiful Ellie sharing my story. And I'm just like, so excited for what's in store for me. Cause I'm, I'm not even 30 years old yet. People I got, I got a long ways to go. (laughs) I love it. I love it. I really truly appreciate you coming on and sharing your story and being so open and talking about things that weren't always easy um and you know getting us down the road of you know me giving out that number and I will give it out again at the end um but I just really appreciate you being on and so it sounds like you have an older sister and a younger brother or an older brother so when my um I'm glad you asked because this will clarify some things. My brother and my sister are actually from my mom's first marriage. And he was a an abusive prick as well. Turns out he was cheating on her the whole time. She left with the kids and she starts singing in the bar bands and that's and she met my dad. And at the time that they met, my mom's tubes were tied. And she decided at 40 years old that she wanted a baby with my dad. And so she went, got her tubes. They did some Frankenstein thing to her tubes and put like a little plastic piece in there and whatever. Takes her forever. Finally gets pregnant with me. My sister is 18 and my brother is 16. And here I come, this new little tiny baby into this world, not knowing what the fuck's going on and why I'm even here and why I was even able to be conceived out of a plastic tube. And so, (laughs) (laughs) and yeah, that's where my story starts. And, um, 
obviously I feel like my mom had empty nest because my siblings were out of the house and she had a new husband, new marriage, everything. And she was getting to the point where she was like in grandma mode for most of my childhood. So she literally would let me do anything. (laughs) I watched the exorcist five times in a row. Like she just did not even give one shit, but she was just like, Oh yeah, that's fine. Just, you know, let me just sit on the couch and not have to think about anything. So, but yeah, it's that in itself is just absolutely wild in its in and of itself. So thank you for clarifying that because I was like, why why didn't your brother like why would your brother go back to Ohio? But obviously it sounds like he had his own life and wasn't living with your dad. And so all of that makes a little more sense. Now I meant to ask that when you mentioned that, but the story yeah, kept going. He, had, um, he actually by that time he had two kids and a wife and everything. And you know, my it's so crazy because my sister's only son is four years younger than me, and I'm his aunt. So we always grew up like brother and sister because we were so close in age and we still, I try, I made many attempts on his life. Like we hated each other. We fought all the time. Like I was like, I hate him. I'm going to murder him. I didn't murder him. He's still alive, but we just hated each other because I was like, you just messed up everything for me because before you were born, my sister did all these fun things with me. And then you showed up and my sister was like, ah, I have my own baby now, so I don't have to go to the mall with you or take you to get presents at the store because I have my own baby. And I was like, to hell with that. He's gone. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see to it that he's gone. Oh, that definitely sounds like some sibling rivalry. Oh, in yeah. In a non-sibling way, now. but yeah. Yeah, I love him to death now. When I was a kid, he could have kicked rocks. But no, I did want to say thank you, Ellie, for just letting me share everything, whether anybody gives a shit or not. I hope that they do. I hope that they take it to heart. Maybe they learned a lesson from it, but um, I'm just I'm just here to make friends and podcasts and tell cool stories and hopefully people will check out my podcast. And what is your podcast? Please plug it. Oh, yeah. So it's uh, Cosmic Peach Podcast. And I'm on Apple, Spotify, wherever uh, you listen to your podcast. And I'm on Instagram, uh, cosmic.peach.podcast. If you want to drop by there and see some of the cool stuff, I post the like pictures of the episodes I do. So you kind of get a visual sense yes, of yes. what we're talking about in the episode. So that's cool. And yeah, just thank you so much, Ellie. Not a problem in that. Info will also be in the show notes. And before I wrap up, once again, the National Domestic Violence Hotline goes 24 hours. It's in multiple languages. That phone number, 1-800-799-7233. You can also text the word START to 88788. Thank you again for listening to Speed Bumps. I hope you'll have a wonderful, wonderful day.